Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 130. I'm just Gaddafian, I'm an Endo warrior and Endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always this podcast is here for educational purposes only. As always I want to thank our first sponsor today BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes. I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural and it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. <laughs> um, and if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B-E-Y-O-U online.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. Hey everyone, I'm really sorry that I've missed a week. I've just got to the end of delivering my course and it has been such a whirlwind time. Um, But normal recording is going to resume shortly. I'm going to start planning out new podcasts to record in the next two weeks. And then I'm going to have two weeks off, but you won't notice because they will be um, uploaded and ready to be published. But yeah, so I'm going to be recording new episodes very shortly and normal schedule is going to resume. So sorry that I've missed, I think I missed one or two weeks. I'm so happy with how the course has gone and I can't wait to share with you some of the incredible wins that um, the course members have had. And yeah, thank you for bearing with me as I get used to running a course alongside all of my other coaching work. And I hope that the episodes that I have shared that have come from the Q&As um, and the recordings, etc., have have been helpful, even if they haven't been recorded specifically for the podcast. So, yeah, new fresh content coming to you soon. As part of the course, I created a bonus module all about supplements for endometriosis, pain, inflammation and hormones. And in my book, This Endo Life, It Starts With Breakfast, I actually go into supplements that have been shown to target endo, but in this module, I dive into the studies, into the doses and the research much deeper. So for those of you who are in need of some extra support with your symptoms at the moment, or who are curious about the evidence behind supplementing for endo, 
I wanted to share a part of this module, specifically the supplements which have been shown to directly target endo and reduce its symptoms, severity and growth rate. So this module does go into, I've broken it down into like supplements that have been shown to target endo, supplements for inflammation, supplements for period pain, supplements for hormones, supplements for gut health, etc. So this is a segment from the part on endo-specific supplements. Also, I want to make it clear that you know I believe in using diet and lifestyle changes to manage endometriosis and get into the root causes of our symptoms rather than just masking them. And I usually use supplements later in my coaching um, with my clients to allow them to experience changes in their symptoms from you know, an anti-inflammatory diet and physio and gut healing, etc. But if a client is really struggling to the point where they can't even really think about making those changes because they're just in so much pain, then I do bring in supplements sooner. But my point is that supplements shouldn't really be used in isolation. They're going to be best used in tandem with healthy habits that support you to live well with endo and resolve the root cause problems behind your inflammation and hormonal imbalances and fatigue, etc. I've also distinguished between studies on animals and in vitro in contrast to studies on humans, as of course, for those supplements which haven't yet been tested on humans, we need more research, right? And also generally, we need larger scale studies um, on all of these supplements. So I've made that very clear, which ones are, you know, we need to do more research on, but I wanted to provide you with all of the evidence that we have so far. So I'm not going to do a disclaimer about doses and consulting your doctor because that's actually included in this. So don't skip that part, listen to it. And also some of it won't be relevant to you because I talk about that, you know, people in the course signed an agreement to say they were going to consult their doctor when they try supplements. So obviously you haven't signed an agreement, but always consult your doctor before starting a new supplement regime. So here it is. I hope it's helpful. So before we get started, I just wanted to share a quick disclaimer as supplements can occasionally come with side effects and health risks. So as outlined in the agreement you signed when you enrolled in the course, you should consult with your doctor before starting a supplement, a new supplement regime. And this is especially important if you're on medication as some supplements can change how the medication works. So just be aware of that. It may also be important to get tested first before taking some of these supplements, like for example, with vitamin D and iron. I'll mention this in the slide if it's necessary, though I do generally recommend getting your levels tested either way. And of course, consulting your doctor is even more important when trying to conceive or you're pregnant, as some supplements aren't safe during conception and pregnancy. Finally, as you're aware, I'm not a dietitian or medical professional. These practitioners are licensed to give specific prescriptive doses to individuals, whereas I'm not. Instead, these are general yet therapeutic doses, which essentially means they're effective for the specific issues that I highlight them as useful for in this lesson. They're provided to you for educational purposes with the intention that you will then discuss these with your doctor or the practitioner you're working with before beginning. These doses are either from the studies, from my training or from other practitioners and are generally safe to use. If there are any risks, I have highlighted them in the slides, but these are general risks, not risks associated to pregnancy or conception. So again, if you're trying to conceive or you're pregnant, please go and speak to your doctor first.
Finally, you've probably heard the phrase that you can't out-supplement a bad diet or lifestyle. And it's especially true with a chronic condition. You're not going to reap the full benefits of these supplements if your diet choices and lifestyle are standing in direct opposition to them. I do think supplements play a role with endometriosis, especially as gut health issues, deficiencies, high inflammatory markers and low antioxidant markers are factors we see in our population, but they need to be alongside healthy choices. So keep that in mind as we go through this lesson today. Okay, so now that's the boring bit over, let's get to the supplements. So of course, I wanted to start with endometriosis specific supplements that have been shown to target endometriosis while also having numerous other benefits. So let's start with my absolute favorite and that's curcumin. Now in terms of endometriosis, the research is unfortunately only in rats or in vitro, which means outside of a human or animal, such as in a test tube or a petri dish. Petri dish. But hopefully we'll soon have some in humans. So curcumin has been shown to inhibit the spread of endometriosis and lesion formation by reducing cell proliferation, which is that process where cells divide to make new cells, and by reducing the adhesion molecules, which allow endometriosis cells to stick to surfaces and form lesions. It's also been shown to reduce endometriosis by speeding up the death of endocells, known as apoptosis. Apoptosis is the normal death of cells in their life cycle, which endometriosis cells are more resistant to than normal healthy cells. Research has also found that curcumin slows down growth rate by reducing estrogen levels inside the endometriosis cells, so essentially they have less fuel to feed them. Of course, as you probably know, there are now countless studies on curcumin's powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects, and they are in humans. In fact, in research, Curcumin has been shown to reduce oxidation levels in mice with endometriosis, which we know are high in people with endometriosis and contributes to endometriosis growth. In studies not on endometriosis, curcumin has been shown to be as effective as ibuprofen for pain relief when taken daily for four weeks at 1,500 milligrams. It was also shown to have less GI side effects than ibuprofen. It has additionally been shown to boost mood and cognitive function in several studies. One study on healthy adults showed that just one hour after taking curcumin, attention and memory improved, and with longer term use, fatigue, mood, stress and mood significantly improved. It can also help to repair leaky gut and lowers intestinal inflammation by reducing the immune system's reaction to LPS, which is why I tend to use it as one of the first supplements to try as it can heal the gut lower inflammation in the body, gut, pelvic cavity, etc., and directly target endo. All important factors in better managing endo, of course. Finally, it's been shown to support blood sugar, which, as you know, is important for keeping energy levels up, inflammation down, and hormone levels balanced. In one study on people with prediabetes, it was 100% effective in preventing the development of type 2 diabetes. So the general therapeutic dose is 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams a day, ideally divided in doses, but don't worry if all you can find is a single large dose. Curcumin is generally metabolized quickly, and so divided in doses just means that we, ha we can have it hanging around in our body for longer, doing good work. You may feel the benefits of curcumin in a month or so, especially if you're taking it at the higher doses. However, for others, it can take longer, and for the best benefit, we need to give curcumin at least six months to a year as the processes of directly targeting endo and reducing the effects of inflammation can take time. 
Of course, if you have adverse reactions, stop immediately and consult with your practitioner. Curcumin can be difficult to absorb, so when choosing a product, go for one either with piperine, which is an extract from black pepper, or is paired with fat or is labelled as bioavailable. Really, fat or piperine are the best options and take with a fat-containing meal to, to aid absorption further. If you have interstitial cystitis, black pepper is irritating to the bladder, so definitely avoid supplements that just add black pepper itself and experiment with how you feel on the extract, as that might be less irritating. In the handout, I've linked to one of my favourite brands, which do a bioavailable form without piperine. Also, if you do have IC, avoid turmeric supplements and rather go for curcumin, which is the active extract from turmeric, as turmeric can also be irritating for the bladder. Generally, you're also going to get more bang for your buck with curcumin because it's in a more concentrated form than just taking curcumin. Okay, so quercetin is another one of my absolute favourites. Quercetin has been shown in studies on rats to inhibit endometriosis growth by lowering oestrogen levels, stunting development. In another rat study, quercetin significantly reduced the size of endometriosis lesions. And quercetin is anti-inflammatory and immune supportive, which is of course important with endo, as we know inflammation is high and the immune system is compromised. It's also a great leaky gut healer and is one of the supplements I recommend trying first for leaky gut due to its other benefits listed in this slide. It's also a powerful antihistamine, which can be used for reducing allergic reactions, histamine intolerance, and asthma symptoms. Dose-wise, I don't have a specific dose for endometriosis, but for histamine issues, the doses vary from 100 milligrams to 500 milligrams. Dr. Jessica Drummond recommends 100 milligrams in our training, whereas I know Dr. Aviva Rom recommends 500 milligrams. My personal feeling is that to reap the benefits of both inflammation, endo, and histamine, the higher dose is probably going to be better here. Like with all of these symptoms, we're really looking at about six months at a minimum, unless you react, in which case stop immediately. Finally, a gentle caution here. From the studies and reviews, quercetin is deemed as safe, and I'm not seeing any warnings from practitioners, but it does lower both estrogen and progesterone through lowering FSH and LH. I don't think this is a problem because as I've mentioned, it's not come with any warnings in my trainings or by practitioners who use it regularly in their practice. But if you have low progesterone, I would maybe use it with caution. If you can't afford testing and you're not sure, I would just observe your cycle. And if you start getting low progesterone symptoms, ease up on your dose or remove it completely if necessary. Ideally track your cycle with the fertility awareness method to ensure you're ovulating. Again, I don't think this is a huge issue or risk, but keep it in mind when using just to be safe. Okay, another great supplement is N-acetylcysteine. N-acetylcysteine has been shown in human studies to reduce the growth rate of endometriomas. It's also been shown to reduce the size of endometriomas and endometriosis lesions in some to the point where the endometriomas disappeared entirely. In fact, in one study, half the patients treated with NAC cancelled their laparoscopies due to a reduction or resolution in symptoms and or a, de a decrease or total disappearance in endometriosis lesions and endometriomas. As I mentioned, these studies also show significant reduction or total eradication of pain and symptoms. An added bonus is that in these studies, there were more there were more pregnancies in the group treated with NAC than those without, so it may also support fertility. 
Finally, it also supports the liver function as it is the precursor to the antioxidant glutathione, which basically means NAC makes glutathione. Glutathione is essential for protecting the liver from inflammation and damage from the toxins and waste materials that it processes, allowing it to function optimally and aid in estrogen clearance. Dose-wise, the studies used 1,800 milligrams, split into three doses of 600 milligrams for three months. However, in my training, we tend to use lower levels of 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams. One word of caution here is that Dr. Alison Seebecker warns that NAC may possibly aggravate hydrogen sulfide SIBO symptoms because this amino acid contains sulfur, which can worsen symptoms for some people. If you know or suspect you have hydrogen sulfide SIBO, I would just see how you respond as this isn't proven. It's just something she cautions as sulfur-containing foods often aggravate those with hydrogen sulfide. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start and they really focus on menstrual well-being and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them there's also the sleep pillow mist so if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that they have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser um, so if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with, um, hundred percent soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health and good quality products. And I mean, obviously, I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. Next up is fish oil or omega-3 fatty acids. 
And we know that these fats are essential and most of us aren't getting enough. So there's definitely a real benefit of adding these in our, into our supplement regime, whether we have endo or not. So fish oil was shown to reduce adhesion formation following surgery on mice induced with endometriosis and reduce the inflammatory healing process post-surgery, which, which could contribute to further endo development due to the heightened inflammatory chemicals. This led to the mice who were fed with fish oil to have fewer lesions than those who were fed a standard diet without fish oil. Therefore, this could be a potential helpful supplement before and after surgery, though I would argue it's an essential daily supplement anyway. In rabbits, eight weeks of fish oil treatment led to a significant reduction in size of endometriosis lesions. I know this, all of these animal studies is just so sad to read and think that these poor animals have had endometriosis implanted in them. And then in humans, several studies have demonstrated a reduction in pain and inflammation with endometriosis and pelvic pain. Fish oil has also been shown to significantly reduce pain in those with primary and secondary dysmenorrhea. Primary means pe period pain with no disease or condition behind it, whereas secondary is period pain due to a condition like endo, to the point where less pain medication was needed. Additionally, it's been shown to be a powerful anti-inflammatory pain reliever for issues like chronic backache and neckache. And one of the ways that omega-3 fatty acids are able to lower inflammation is through lowering inflammatory prostaglandins and raising the levels of anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. Additionally, because of the powerful anti-inflammatory processes of omega-3 fatty acids, they may play a role in healing leaky gut and lowering intestinal inflammation. Many gut health practitioners use fish oil for this purpose. The dose is between 1,000 milligrams to 3,000 milligrams a day. I personally find I get more relief from the higher doses, but it can be tricky to get hold of those levels without exceeding the dose recommendations on the bottle. I have linked to a few higher dose supplements in the handout, but if you choose to exceed the dose recommendations on the label, obviously that's totally your choice, but you'll need to consult a practitioner to be on the safe side. However, omega-3 fatty acids are generally very safe at these doses. At minimum, it's advised to continue these for six months to a year, but arguably omega-3 fatty acids should be kept in our supplement regime generally. If you're a vegan, look for an algae-based supplement that contains both DHA and EPA because we need both. I've linked to a few in the handout. The only risk is that they can sometimes thin blood, so speak to your surgeon ahead of surgery to see whether you need to stop taking them a few days beforehand for keyhole surgery, for example, but just check. Also, I just realised that it sounds like the vegan supplements cause that, but omega-3 fatty acids thin the blood, so whatever type you're taking, you need to talk to your surgeon. Okay, so now let's move on to pine bark, also known as pycnogenol. In one study on humans, pine bark was shown to reduce endometriosis-associated pain. The study compared pine bark to hormonal therapy, and what was interesting was that the results were much slower in the pine bark group, but the pain reduction was longer lasting, whereas the symptoms returned in the group treated with hormones once they came off the medication. The dose used in the study was 60 milligrams daily, split into two doses of 30 milligrams for 48 weeks. Now let's move on to a combination of vitamin e, vitamins E and C. In one study, high doses of vitamin E and C were shown to significantly reduce pelvic pain in people with endo. 43% of participants had a reduction in daily pain, 
pain during menstruation was reduced in 37% and pain during sex was reduced in 24%. The same study also demonstrated a reduction in inflammatory markers, which means measurements of inflammation, in the pelvic cavity. Additionally, vitamin C raises progesterone levels and is commonly used by naturopathic and functional medicine practitioners to support those with low levels. Vitamins E and C are also antioxidants and anti-inflammatories, so can lower oxidation levels and inflammatory processes, which can lead to endoprogression, which is why there was a reduction in inflammatory markers in the study. Finally, vitamin E has been shown to reduce pain, pain duration and blood loss in people with primary dysmenorrhea. In the endometriosis study, the doses used were 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C and 1,200 IU or vitamin E for eight weeks. Now, I don't think this is really a problem because I know plenty of industry leaders in the hormone period space who use vitamin C for low progesterone, but it does also raise estrogen too. So if you have elevated estrogen levels, it may be better to consult with a practitioner. General daily doses of vitamin C used in a supplement are at much lower doses. So just taking a standard vitamin C supplement would be totally fine. But if you wanted to increase the dose to something like a thousand milligrams, I would just either carefully track your cycle and how you respond and ideally consult with a practitioner. Again, vitamin C seems to be standardly used to elevate progesterone without any warnings regarding estrogen rising too, but I just wanted to let you guys know in case. Also, if you have interstitial cystitis, vitamin C supplements can irritate the bladder, so you may find it better to use an oral spray, which you swirl around your mouth for a few minutes before splitting out. The vitamin C absorbs through the cheeks, so you'll still get the benefits, just without the bladder burn. Next up is melatonin, which I actually don't presently use in my practice because it can affect the menstrual cycle by delaying or preventing ovulation. Also, in my training, we've seen cases of people not responding too well to it as it can come with side effects such as fatigue, dizziness and headaches. So if I were to use it, I would do so in collaboration with a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor who could provide further guidance or supervision. However, it has been shown to be really beneficial for endometriosis, so it's worth discussing and many practitioners are using it. In a study on rats, melatonin was found to significantly reduce the size of lesions. And in a human study, it was also found to lower daily pelvic pain by 39% and period pain by 38% in women with endometriosis. The study used 10 milligrams every evening for eight weeks. In his book, The Endometriosis Health and Diet Programme, Dr. Andrew Cook advises trying between 0.5 milligrams and 10 milligrams daily each evening, and it's generally, generally recommended to build up to the full dose. If you plan to try melatonin, I would recommend working with someone to find the right dose for you that doesn't interfere with your cycle. Okay, so finally, let's look at resveratrol. In studies in rats, resveratrol has been shown to reduce the size, severity, and number of endometriosis lesions. In human studies, it was shown to enhance the benefits of oral contraceptives by further reducing pain and inflammation through inhibiting aromatase, that's that hormone which converts testosterone to estrogen. This was a small study on 12 patients who didn't find oral contraceptives helpful, but when combined with resveratrol, 82% experienced total alleviation of their pain within two months. It's also a powerful anti-inflammatory, which has been shown to reduce inflammatory prostaglandins. 
And finally, it has been shown to inhibit the formation of new blood vessels in endometriosis lesions, inhibiting growth. The study used 30 milligrams daily for two months, though of course you could continue this for longer if you'd like, as we know that it can take three to six months to really see effects from these supplements. Now, like many warnings in this lesson, I've not seen any healthcare practitioners caution the use of resveratrol for endometriosis, but at certain doses, it can have the opposite effect. So for example, it can become pro-inflammatory. To my knowledge, 30 milligrams daily is both a safe and effective dose for endo, with practitioners like Dr. Andrew Cook recommending it. But as with all of these supplements, consult your doctor before beginning with resveratrol. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.